universal law is very simple. All creation happens via attraction and all attraction is impacted by polarity. So our point of attraction is always moving and that's why we have this mix. But the mix is why we're here. All of those challenges that I shared with you from childhood, I've worked through all of that stuff and I see how magnificent all that stuff is. And that's true for all of us. Even if you're still in a suffering state, there's gold there for you. You can't always see it, but in time you will and you can learn to see it a lot quicker. It all begins by understanding the mind. I want to be happy now. I don't care about the future. I want to be happy right now. You are not alone. You are never, ever, ever alone in this. It's helped my voice grow and given me freedom to be creative on my own. I'm Christina Barcy. Welcome to Be Bold Begin, a podcast dedicated to you, the creative, the healer, and the innovator. The topics and conversations we have here are designed to help you discover what might be getting in your way and offer you tools, techniques, and guidance to move through them. I live in the imposter's body more than I live in my own body. I don't have to feel like I don't deserve this. This is where creativity and healing intersect. If you decide to be bold and begin, you have the opportunity to feel humbled and empowered. I totally believe that. I'm a certified Kaizen Muse creativity coach, a certified Reiki energy healer, and an entrepreneur, artist, and presenter. I will share with you my experiences, my proven tools and techniques that helped me and my clients and loved ones shift and expand in the areas they most desired. This is a gentle and open space where you will hear how others are being bold to encourage you to begin your own journey or expand the one you're on. This is Be Bold Begin. Hi, welcome back to People Begin. I'm Barcy, your host, and I'm going to start by prefacing that we are going to have a part two to today's session. I do have a guest with me today. His name is David Stickle, who will be our first interview. But then in our next segment, in another episode, we're going to have a second interview with something called The Stream. David Stickle is a channeler, and he has a podcast called The Stream of David, a practice he's created called Taya, and he wrote a book called The Stream, Eternal Wisdom for a Better Life. And today, he's going to tell us all about what this is, how he discovered it, along with how he began channeling. But in addition to our usual conversation, David did agree to come back to channel with The Stream for us on the show in our next episode. So please come back for that. I'm really excited for that segment, but I'm also really excited to learn more from David today. So welcome, David. Thank you for having me. It's good to be here. I'm really glad to have you here. I always find this subject really interesting. And the people I know who do this kind of thing or who I've talked to that channel all have really unique stories into how they came upon it and how it became part of their life. So I would love to just know more about you and what life was like before and how this all threaded through to get you to where you are now. Certainly. There was a time when I didn't know what channeling was. And there was a time that I found out what channeling was and it really freaked me out. And I was very judgmental about it. And all of that evolution happened over the course of my, probably the decade of my thirties into my forties. And looking back now, I realized that I had a knowing about me even as a young child. And I think we all have that. And because of my upbringing, the circumstances around my childhood, I really relied on that knowing to survive. And I believe that that's why I developed into the channel that I am today, because I recall understanding universal law very, very young, understanding that we create our reality, that our belief system creates an operating system for our lives, essentially, and that that's going to create how our life is going to go and that we have complete control over it. Can you tell us about your childhood a little bit about sure. why this felt like something you gravitated to or discovered to help you through that? Sure. I would describe my parents as two people that should have never met nor gotten married, yet they did somehow. <laughs> somehow there was a vibrational alignment at some point. But I was the second child, and I think I was supposed to be the child that was going to save their marriage, and it didn't. And my very early upbringing, I recall my mother being somewhat mentally and physically abusive. One of my first memories was my mother wrapping me on my head. She used to cut my hair in this bowl haircut. I have no hair now, so it's kind of hard to imagine. But in the 70s, this bowl haircut was kind of a style. And she would cut my hair with these big metal scissors. And if I cry, she would just 
beat the crap. I just pound my head with these scissors. Mm-hmm. So that was one of my first memories. And I remember her sort of being the disciplinarian, sort of angry, and my father being really disconnected from me and, and just the family in general. Well, my father disappeared when I was six. He didn't disappear forever, but he just suddenly one day he was gone. My mother introduced me to some new words that I'd never heard before and said, you know, your father doesn't love you. He's gone. That's it you know, over. She sold the house, moved us away to a different town, and then sort of locked herself in her bedroom for the rest of her life and did not want to be a parent. And my father went on and married someone else, had a second family that kind of became his real family there. And I had an older brother who was old enough to sort of figure things out for himself. And I was six and I was just sort of left to my own devices to raise myself, essentially. And, you know, childhood was a very well-developed inner world, if you will. But that inner world led me to, I had a very vivid imagination. I'm a Pisces. So definitely having that ability to really imagine the energetic realm and imagine what life could be like, that developed very strongly in me. And I sort of developed this whole false childhood and created it for myself where I had these great parents and this just wonderful experience, even though my life wasn't really like that. Grew up very poor. My mother was a minimum wage earner. My father didn't contribute much to my childhood. There were always material things that I would see that my cousins and things like that would have that we didn't have. So I grew up with that contrast of being around people that had material things and trips and they went to summer camp and I didn't have any of that. So there was something in me that guided me toward my work worthiness of material things and experiences, my worthiness for just being alive. My teenage years were really rough. I'm gay. So, you know, dealing with that as a teenager is a lot. And then dealing with all of that with a very disconnected mother, I experienced just all kinds of emotions and things like that. And she wasn't very, she just wasn't there for it. And at one point I've told this story many times and I'm not saying it for empathy, but at one point my mother suggested that I commit suicide. That was Mm. sort of the relationship that we had. And that was a big turning point for me because I really stepped into my worthiness of being. She would say things like, I wish you were never born. You were a huge mistake. And instead of making me sort of, you know, go inward to unworthiness, that actually brought out my worthiness. I remember telling her, well, oh, well, you had me. I'm here. Deal with it. I'm here. I'm not going anywhere. So it was a really good thing for me because I had this inner knowing of worthiness. I had an inner knowing that I was going to create more in my life than my mother was bothering to create in her life. And it carried me through into adult It was a survival tactic. And then when I got into my teen years and early adult, I realized that I understood things and knew things and understood the workings of the world unlike most people my age. And that feeling of being weird and the outsider and I don't really fit in with anyone, I sort of made myself fit in, but it wasn't the real me. It was a facade that I created so I could have friendships and things like that. I was not an unpopular kid, but no one knew the real me. And I took that into my adult life. I started my own business at 19, but that didn't really pan out. So I ended up in the corporate world and I did very well in the corporate world. So I learned how to be this sort of chameleon who could act like a quote unquote normal person. But internally, I didn't feel normal at all. Not just because of the gay thing. I dealt with that very early on. But I just understood how the world worked. And I would try to tell people and teach people. And they're like, oh, you're crazy. It doesn't work like that. But then it always worked for me. From the Mm. time I was a teenager, I became a very abundant individual. I had nice things as a teenager because to me, you know, as a teenager, material things are everything fun and friendships, right? I had a brand new car in high school. I had nice clothes. I ran around with the wealthy kids in town. I had that idea of rich was happy. And I took that idea into my twenties and thirties and I made myself a wealthy person or at least a high income person. And I had all the stuff that I thought I was supposed to have to be happy. And it took me into my early 40s to really come to terms with the fact that, wow, all the stuff isn't doing anything. Maybe there's even more in this. And so I was seeing psychics and things like that. And I did stumble upon a really good psychic who changed my entire life. She told me that I was a channel. She told me what that was. She told me about Abraham Hicks. If you've heard of Abraham Hicks, Esther Hicks is a very popular channel of what she calls Abraham. I avoided that for many years because I judged it as weird. And then it finally hit me in such a way that I could no longer avoid it. And I really got into it for a while. And what Abraham did for me is it made channeling not weird. It made it palatable for me. And then from there, I really took those types of teachings into my business life. And I helped people become very successful financially in business in a specific field with all of those teachings. 
Okay. I'm going to pause you there because there's so... Go ahead. I'm telling you the whole story, man. Which is great. I love the storytelling. Your story is so interesting. But I want to slow you down just so that we can dig in a little further in the details because I find that interesting. And one question I have, going back to your younger self, you said you were trying to explain this to like your friends and people that were your age. Do you remember what the language was? Like, How did you explain it then? There is one specific thing that I recall, and I tell the story often. I remember... Because most of my friends, I realized, okay, I can't talk about this stuff with them because they're going to think I'm weird and I'm going to be the outcast at school. So I learned not to do that. But with my older brother, Doug, I didn't have that fear because he was my brother and I thought he was weird anyway. So I <laughs> so I remember he was getting a car and this was around 1982. I was 14 years old and my brother was wanting his own car. He was a couple of years older than me and he wanted his own car. And I remember telling him and he was kind of lamenting with me, you know, how our cousins and even our half sister were very sort of upper middle class spoiled. They all had new cars in high school and he couldn't afford even a, you know, the, the worst used car. And I remember very specifically telling him, if you believe that it's yours, already it will come to you. I had no idea what it was called. And I honestly thought it was this thing that I invented. Sure. (laughs) I thought it was my own creation, but I said, you know, when I dream about something and believe that I already have it, it happens. I get it. And by that time at 14, I was already like dressing better than him and living sort of a life that I shouldn't have been living with our household income. And he was very religious. And I think he told me I needed to go pray. And that sounded demonic or something like that. And I just thought, well, okay, you're not going to do that, but this is how I'm going to live my life. Well, his first car was a really beat up old car that leaked oil. My first car was brand new from the dealership. Yeah. This is so interesting that you already had the words that are now so popular that we, you know, say if people are familiar with the law of attraction, that's the very yeah, basic I, I way of how it works. I certainly didn't call it that. I'd not heard of that until years later. I think I read Think and Grow Rich, okay. which that was written sense. in the 40s. I think that's the first time I heard the term law of attraction was in that book. I didn't realize that was in that book. Okay. That's when it started to click. That book is all about that. I don't even know if mm. that was, maybe that was added later. You know, I don't know. But I know that that term, I didn't hear that term until much later in life. So you're 14 years old. Do you remember like what you experimented with to see if this would work? Like you must have tested this to know that it was true, that if you believed it. I remember I had said that when I was a child, we lived in an apartment in this small town in Louisiana where my mother had grown up. My mother got us moved over to like the nicer elementary school. And all of those kids had mom and dad at home. They all lived in nice houses. You know, when I was a kid, there was something to like, if you lived in a two-story house, you had more money than my town. So you saw so, a lot of contrast between yourself and these kids. Exactly. I was living in an apartment. My mother was divorced. You know, that was all frowned upon. There were all kinds of sketchy people living around me, but I was going to school with kids that had more money. And And I remember I created this whole lie as a child that, oh, you know, I have a mom and a dad and we live over here and we're building this house. And none of it was real, but it was my inner world. But the interesting thing is, is that I did that throughout my childhood just as a survival technique. Mm -hmm. But my belief that I was that made me more like them. I could connect with them and communicate with them. And I kind of understood them. And then I started dressing like them. And I lived the life of a child and a teenager that had more money than my family did. How were you able to dress like them? Like, where did the money part come from? You know, the thing is, it just always magically showed up. So, I mean, there were times that I would work and get money. Opportunities would pop up. My grandmother would suddenly show up and decide to take me on a shopping spree out of nowhere. There's no one way that any of that stuff came to me. It was all just sort of fell into place. Even the car was insane. Because my mother had to facilitate the purchase of the car. And here's this woman, you know, a year prior, she's telling me to kill myself. And now she's, you know, got a minimum wage job and she's helping me buy a car Mm -hmm. out of nowhere. And I didn't deserve it. I wasn't a good student and we weren't getting along. There was no, oh, he's such a good student. I have to do this for him. That was not happening. It was just a vibe that happened. I think maybe in her own way, it was her way of showing love to me. And she didn't know how to Mm -hmm. otherwise. Yeah. So that's what I manifested. And then when I got into adulthood, it became more of a mainstream type thing. You know, I did start a business at 19 that I had no business starting and it worked. What was it? I was a real estate developer at 19 from a minimum wage household family and no education. I uh, didn't get past the 10th grade in high school. I took a GED. I was dyslexic. I had a mother at home that said, I don't care whether you do homework or not. Uh She let me sign my own report cards. You know, she didn't care if I had straight Fs. I charmed my way through school by and large. And then I get my classes graduating and I realize I'm not going back to high school next year when everyone I've gone through 12, you know, not 12, but nine or 10 years of school with, they're going to go off to college. I can't do that. So I went over the summer and got a GED and that was the extent of my former 
formal education to this day. Mm -hmm. But I educated myself in certain ways. And I came up with this idea for this real estate development. And I approached this man that was inheriting a dairy farm from his father. He had all the land. He had money, really, or access to it. I said, hey, why don't you develop your property? I'll go into business with you. We did. We didn't make a whole lot of money. It wasn't terribly successful. But I spent, I would say, age 19, 20, 21, working with attorneys and bankers and real estate people and engineers and all of that. You know, I sort of taught myself and just got caught up in that whole world. And then that sort of fizzled out. I ended up, you know, seeking employment and stuff like that. But it was a really interesting way to sort of enter the working world. Yeah, what an amazing way to teach yourself about the intersections of all of that. Yeah, I think entrepreneurship is such a great school for humanity. <laughs> like yeah. just understanding how people work, understanding how to interact, to communicate, to create something with others and collaborate and stuff. And to do that at such a young age, I'm sure translated well when you decided to get a job. Yeah, it was a great life experience because when that kind of played out, my uncle was in the building business in Austin, Texas and said, hey, why don't you come out here? I'm in the building business. I'll get you into building in Austin. I thought, oh, this is great. So I move out to Austin and all of the builders there were hiring all the fresh graduates with engineering degrees from Texas A&M. And I had a 10th grade education. You know, at the time, my ego was like, well, I'm ahead of them. I've already developed real estate and I've done all this civil engineering and all this stuff. Yeah. But I realized now I wouldn't have been much use to them. I couldn't get a job. So I ended up in the restaurant business because that's who would hire me without an education. But that took me to Atlanta, Georgia. And I met all kinds of people from all walks of life that I had never been exposed to in small town Louisiana. And if you want to know how to run a business, get into the restaurant business to run a restaurant, because that's the most difficult business there is, in my opinion. I did that for about eight years. I was in hospitality for 19 years. Yeah, I think so. everybody should be. It's such a great learning experience, right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I see it in what I do every day in ways that I didn't realize penetrated. And it really does shift the way I show up in the world, again, in ways I didn't realize those skills were developed there. So yeah, I agree. I think everyone should do it. That makes sense to me that you would end up in these types of pathways. Thank you for letting me take a pit stop in the story, because I think these things are so relatable. And I want to hone in on the difference between your thought process and belief system at such an early age, because that is truly what the difference is. That's the shift that a lot of us are kind of trying to understand or looking for or wanting to know what's different than me to get the things I want in life. And let's just say, you know, if we're all aiming for like love and joy and happiness, ultimately, however we translate that, if we think, you know, happens in material things, if we think it happens, you know, all of that is individual journey. But I wanted to highlight the fact that you understood that imagination played a big role in your reality. Because my imagination was all I had. Yeah. I didn't have the parents. I didn't have the education. I didn't have the money to back me to do anything. The only thing I had was my belief in myself and my ability to imagine a certain type of life. And the interesting thing was, is that at 19, I was imagining me being a real estate developer and that I was struggling financially during that time, but I was getting all the experience. Well, my friends at that point were getting out of college and they were getting their first jobs and they were moving to bigger cities and they had new cars and apartments and all that cool stuff you get, you know, or at least you used to get at that time, right after college, you would just go into a career and start making money. You know, now I realize now to, today is a little different, but yes. that's what they were experiencing. And so that's what I tuned to that. All I cared about was moving to a city. I wanted to get out of small town. I wanted a new car and I wanted my own apartment. By 25, I was living in Atlanta, Georgia in my own apartment, driving a brand new car. And I manifested exactly what I thought I was supposed to be doing at 25. Right. Interesting. So you were still matching, like matching the peers that you were like, right. well, this is what people are doing. Yeah, so. this is what happiness is. Happiness is being 25. And it, by and large, it was. And I also right. moved away to a city where I didn't know anyone, which allowed me to come out of the closet and have a whole experience as being an openly gay man. And that was a, a beautiful experience. Was that in Atlanta? That was in Atlanta. That was back in the early 90s, a long, long time ago. You know, that was a fun experience for me. And then I had another idea that, you know, by the time I was 30, I didn't want to be in the restaurant business. I wanted to own a home and I wanted to be making six figures. That happened too. Everything. And then I just started saying, well, gosh, I went from there to here and I shouldn't be here according to, you know, society. What else can I do? And so I just kept doing that with my life. But then when I hit 40, 41, it was, you know, a VP type role. I was living in a very nice home, what would be a, a probably almost a $3 million house now outside of Seattle. I had a Mercedes and a Porsche and, and all of the furnishings and trappings and living a very luxurious life. And that's when it finally hit me that, wow, I keep doing this financial thing and it's great, but I'm still not really happy. I still haven't really dealt with all this other stuff 
from my childhood mm. and I'm not in a great relationship and I don't really love myself. So, okay, all the stuff didn't really do what I thought it was going to do. And that's the decade of my 40s is what really transformed me and brought me out to being a full-blown channel. Thank you. So you started to realize that there's still something missing that you could maybe apply your ability of what you've discovered through life and put to action and apply it to something else. How did you start to play differently, like shift that play? Because it's kind of like playful, fun energy when you try to bring something to yourself, right? Yes, definitely. Definitely. Because I was really unhappy but I still had the worthiness thing going on and I had all these beautiful things and the things brought momentary happiness. They still do. But overall, I was not living a happy, joyful, clear life. I wasn't fully allowing everything that was available to me and what we now call the stream connection. That's where Abraham entered the picture because I'd been to this psychic in my late thirties and she said, you're a channel. And she brought out all this Abraham information and she showed it to me. I judged it as religious it okay. felt very religious Old Testament to me because it was called Abraham. And even the cover, it was like this plastic binder with, I think, cassette tapes in it. Okay. It, it yeah. looked like something biblical. I was raised in the church, so I know kind of what that looks like. And it kind of felt like that. And I didn't want any part of it. But then Abraham just kind of kept coming back around because I was teaching what we would call, by the then I knew the term, law of attraction in my business. Because by then I'd moved right. into retail, interior design, and home furnishings. And I did very well in that industry. I moved way up. I was reporting to the CEO in the last several years of that. I moved as high in the company as I could possibly go. My thing was I could teach commission-based interior designers how to make a lot of money in their job. And again, happiness, right? Money means happiness. And so I really got good at that. And I had all these successful people reporting to me, but I was teaching a mindset and it's about you have to get there mentally first and you have to picture yourself and visualize. And I went just to the edge of law of attraction without getting myself in trouble with HR for teaching religion. And I always mm -hmm. had to kind of stop and I would have designers want more. And they would say, gosh, you know, I just got divorced and I'm so unhappy and I have all these problems. I couldn't go there with them. It wasn't my business to do that. And I realized, gosh, I need that type of healing too. What's available to me? And I was starting to heal myself in my 40s, getting out of the bad relationship, you know, liquidating all the material stuff and splitting that up and letting all that go and getting myself healthier for the first time in my life. I was not a healthy person in my 30s at all. Moving into that space, that's when I got to the point where I realized, gosh, I have so much to offer the world that I'm not offering in this career field because I'm so limited. I need to start sharing it somehow, somewhere. So I started writing a book. That's where the stream book came from. And I started learning about the publishing world, which was a whole new thing for me. And I realized that, you know, the only way I'm ever going to get the book published is if I have an audience. You can't just go get a book published unless you have an audience. And I started a podcast. So I had been inspired by Abraham. I had all of this coming to me. I had come to realize that, yes, indeed, I'm a channel. All this just this knowing just drops into my mind. I actually taught myself to speak it. Esther Hicks, if you're an Abraham person, Esther Hicks tells the story about how it sort of happened miraculously. It was like a supernatural event where she just started speaking it. That was not the way that I started channeling. I had the knowing drop in. The reason I loved Abraham so much is because it was very much the same thread, if you will, that I was tapping into. It's source energy. Source is source. And universal law is universal law. And it's actually very simple. It's not really complex. And what Abraham was teaching was very much what I'd been getting my whole life. But there were some other aspects that I felt I could share that I wasn't getting from Abraham. And I'm not trying to criticize Abraham. I think it's wonderful. But there were some variations because I was kind of at this impasse to where I thought, well, gosh, why bother doing a podcast? Because I love Abraham so much. Why would I do this? Well, the message from the stream at that point was very clear that there's no one size fits all teaching in this world. We're all individuals. We all gravitate toward different teachers for different reasons, even at different times. And that if you allow it, this will become its own thing. And so mm -hmm. I took that as I need to shut off Abraham and let Abraham be Abraham and let everyone that loves Abraham love Abraham. And I really need to allow this to be its own thing, whatever that looks like. Well, early on, it was very Abraham-like. In fact, people would always accuse me of you know stealing Abraham. You know, They would post some things. Oh, you're sharing the Abraham material. You should tell everyone. And I really wasn't. I was sharing the stream. But very quickly in the podcast, in the teachings, it came to pass that I decided to quit my job and just do this. And when I did that, I met someone that teaches you how to do an online course. 
Mm-hmm. And initially I was very skeptical of that. I thought, oh my course, what is that? You know, I don't want to teach some get rich quick BS, you know, but the stream said, this is an opportunity for you to make your living doing this. If you make it your own and don't let anyone influence you. So the thing I liked is that the person that taught me how to do the course had nothing to do with what the course was. I liked that a lot. She had nothing, no say in what my course was. So I developed the course. Really, I went onto my podcast and said, hey, I'm going to teach a course. I'm going to teach you how to do all these things. Sign up for it. And I had a couple of people show up and pay me a lot of money to take a course that didn't even exist yet. And I was clear with them. I said, this doesn't exist. We're going to co-create it together. I channeled the whole thing. The whole course was channeled and it worked. And that's where Taya came from. Taya really is taking what the stream teaches us and applying it in your life. It's tools to apply what they're teaching. And it has evolved so much that I don't know that there's anything else just like it. I think everything is rooted in universal law, but it really did become its own thing. Wow. Okay. I have to go back and make some definitions happen because there was a lot just said. Thank you for sharing that arc because that is really where your next big shift really happened in what you've shared so far, at least in the way I'm interpreting it. But I'm not religious. So I know the name Abraham. I think he's in the Bible. (laughs) It's a biblical Old Testament character. Yes. Okay, Abraham Hicks is this same person, right? From well, a lot of people refer to God as Abraham. Abraham is sort of another name for God in some sects as well, yeah. Okay, thank you. And Esther was the channeler that you met with that channeled Abraham? Yes, Esther Hicks channels Abraham. So if you're into channeling, I refer to Esther as the Beyonce of channeling. She's like, she's very popular. She doesn't do podcasts. She doesn't do interviews. She just, she has her following. The thing that Abraham did for me, and maybe your listeners are into Abraham or maybe they're not. A lot of people are into Abraham. Abraham is easy to understand. It's easy to follow. It seems very normal. It doesn't seem freaky or weird. And a lot of people, the idea of channeling, because religion very much teaches you that, you know, anything like that must be a demon. It must be evil. A lot of people accuse her of being demonic. There's nothing demonic going on there. I trust my instincts. It comes from a pure place of love. It's rooted in universal law. What Esther Hicks did for me is that she made it normal. She normalized it for me. So then I was able to allow the stream to flow in this podcast. And I would just get onto my own podcast and just channel on different topics in the beginning until we sort of morphed into a bigger following where I had guests on and things like that. Now we have guests and, you know, the, the podcast is widely listened to. And it's so normal for me to be a channel and to be able to shift into that gear and channel source But I understand that for a lot of people, it's just so weird. Like, what? Is this his ego? Is he faking? Or who is this? A lot of people that are into spirituality want to know who I'm channeling. Sure. Well, the energetic realm isn't really a who. It's not individualized. We humanize the energetic realm. I understand that we identify passed on loved ones. Some people identify spirit guides, angelic beings. I think all of that, we create our reality. So all that is real as as we allow it to be. And there's nothing wrong with it. But the energetic realm is that. It's consciousness. It's thought. It's the thought that creates us. And really, that's it. That's as fancy as it is. Everybody wants to make it something. But when I channel, that's what I'm channeling, is that consciousness that is the creator of all things. But it's not a god looking to be worshipped or obeyed. It's not a deity at all. It's not looking to give us rules to live by. There's no judgment and no rules coming from it at all. I get none of that. So wherever religion got that from, that's not what I'm tapping into. Because there's no judgment, there's no rules. They could care less whether anybody is into them or not. I'm the same way. I'm here for whomever wants to be into it. I do see the teachings helping people transform their lives in a positive way. But if somebody's not into it, don't be into it. That's just how I am about it. It's either it's your thing or it isn't. And maybe it's something you're not ready for now that maybe you'll be ready for at a different time. It's interesting, though, because it's a very different perspective on life than what we have. And I'm a student of it as well. So I've had to transform. I'm about to be 54, and this kind of all started up around 41. So I've had all this time to sort of ramp into it and make it my way of life. But it doesn't bring perfection. I'm not perfect. Certainly not perfect. And it's something that I'm always learning. There are still moments where I'm like, oh, my gosh, I never thought about it that way. But now that I do, it makes perfect sense. That's Mm -hmm. what I keep finding with the stream over and over and over again, is that it answers all of life's questions. But you have to get pretty deep into the teachings for it to really start to click and make sense. It sounds like a very engaged, open process that's continuous. It is. It's something that would be, you know, you read the book and the book was published a couple of years ago. And it's about my childhood, 
the even longer version of what I just shared with you, if you, if you could imagine such a thing. My childhood, how I came to channel, we do answer 23 core messages in there. Pretty much we pick the top 23 questions anyone would have if they believed they were talking to source or God or however you identify it. We answer those 23 questions in there. But so much has evolved even since that first book. We have the Taya book ready. I'm working on getting it published. And that's just a long process. But we didn't rush it. We took five years to write the Taya book. Who's we? The Stream, myself. In that case, I have a co-author, Cat Wonders. Cat okay. was my editor Great on the first thing. book. We wrote this book together. I channel most of it. She asks questions and the stream answers. Got it. That helps understand the process too. So that kind of brings me to my next question about, you mentioned the knowing. This is when I got the knowing. You said that earlier. Is that the same thing as what people refer to as like download? Like I downloaded this information? I've heard downloads of thought. Intuition is a version of that. I believe okay. everybody has a connection to, I know <laughs> everyone has a connection to source. All, all creation has a connection to source. It's worked out of us. Humanity works, our culture, our religion, our teachings, our family, our culture. I call that the matrix, mm -hmm. the human created belief system. Mm -hmm. And the stream questions all of that and identifies it as the matrix. Now, the matrix is not bad. We're not demonizing the matrix. The matrix created humanity the way that we are, and we've created all of this technology and all of these comforts and all of these things or elements of the matrix. So it's not a bad thing. It's a human operating system. But our human operating system is heavily laden with fear and judgment. Think about it. Mm -hmm. Think about how much fear and judgment is fed to us from birth and how much fear and judgment impacts our lives. And it's funny, I have this ad that's running on Facebook right now, and it sort of talks about all this. Um, the comments on the ad are very telling. There are some people that come in, and the ad is sort of, you know, are we awakening or are we heading toward destruction? How do you mm -hmm. see the world? And about half the people are on there, oh, we're awakening. It's amazing. It's the best time to be alive. Humanity is experiencing uh, clarity like never before. And the other half are doomsday. They're all coming for us. Hunker down. Buy your guns. The world is ending. COVID's going to kill us all. The contrasts are so represented in that ad because we are living in this polarized environment of contrasts. That's why yeah. people think they have to be on one side or the other on every topic and that they have to be right and therefore everyone else has to be wrong. Right. But the more I channel the stream and the more source connection I allow in my life, the less I care about the polarized stuff. I don't need to have a side in politics. I don't need to be fearful of COVID, even if it impacts me, which it has, not directly, but certainly around me. I don't need to be fearful of the vaccine or not getting the vaccine. I can be very gray on every topic and live a very joyful, abundant life. But we're taught you have to pick a side and you have to be right or wrong. And, you know, if you're not for it, you're against it. All this crap that we're told that just isn't true. Yeah, I think there's so many reasons that that are infinite but i think a lot of it is tied to if we don't choose we don't care and i don't think that that's true just to simplify one version of that and it doesn't mean you care less about someone else's life or perspective or topic or position or any of that and i agree i, I think i'm on the same sort of thought process with you and how i approach things now and it doesn't mean i don't care about stuff. I care about stuff quite deeply, but it doesn't serve me to be that binary, generally speaking. Yeah. You use an interesting term because that's kind of a hot button term these days in regard to gender. Yeah. I just did a podcast on gender identity and how mm, humanity is evolving beyond the need for these really specific gender identities that it served a purpose for a yeah. while. And yeah. now you see younger people being born more up to speed with now and that they just don't feel that need. Yeah. And it's foreign. And as somebody in their 50s, I understand how that was not our world growing up. And so now to see younger generations, I don't have any of my own children, but I took a 16-year-old into my home. I was served as her parent for one year and she went to a high school in Marin County outside of San Francisco. You can imagine Marin County is a very, very, very um, liberal place. And so the kids that she went to high school with, I remember she came home one day and I said, oh, are there openly gay kids in your school? And she just went down this list of things that I didn't, you know, she, oh, this person's asexual and this person's non-binary and this person's yeah. trans. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm trying to think back to my Louisiana <laughs> high school in the 80s, if you had even been gay, you would have been a serious outcast, you know, and look how much things have changed in 30 years to where now you've got all these different identities. And really what they're heading toward is just, you know, let's not label everything and let's not judge everything the way that we have. 
Yeah. Let's make space and room for individual experience. There's a spectrum Mm -hmm. for that on almost everything, if not everything. Everything is really gray. Everything is really gray. We talk about default vibration and the upper vibration being more source aligned or just allowing of source and the lower vibration more disallowing of source, meaning more rooted in your ego or your humanity. That's what I tend to refer to as the matrix. So what I found as I have moved my vibration higher and higher and higher, I have adopted more of that source perspective of non-judgment, which means everyone on this planet is here having their experience and it's not my place nor my business to judge it. And even those of us that want to help humanity, there's nothing bad about wanting to help humanity. I'm doing this because I want to help humanity. But when you get down into your ego with that, when you're needing other people to behave or live a life that pleases you because you think that's your version of happiness, that must be theirs. But you're not stopping to understand. We just did this event in L.A. I live out in the desert outside of L.A. But when you go into L.A., you see a lot more homeless people. And I've had a whole different experience. When I lived in downtown San Francisco, I was far more judgmental of the homeless. Mm -hmm. Now, living there helped me evolve into realizing, wait a minute, these people are having their earthly experience. It might not be what I want, but who am I to say what they should be experiencing? It's Mm -hmm. so easy to judge that and say, well, gosh, we have to save them from their experience. Mm -hmm. I believe everyone is abundant naturally. And we have this earthly experience where we perhaps hold ourselves away from our natural abundance. But from our eternal perspective, our soul perspective, we're not judging the human experience the way that we do. So if someone comes and has a difficult journey, I've had what a lot of people would label as a difficult journey. I love my difficult journey. I love that I had the mother that I had and the father that I have and the upbringing and the things. Every single thing that I encountered has made me a more sophisticated version of me. Now take that experience and multiply that universally into your eternal consciousness, if you believe in that, and understand that you are evolving, ever evolving into a more sophisticated version of you. And one of the things that the stream said, and I'll channel the next time that I come on, but one of the things that was a huge aha for me is that we have this judgment of our point of entry. We realize that we're really not all created equal in terms of our point of entry. Some people are born into two loving parents and financial stability and this life that's sort of just prepaved for them. And I know a lot of people like that. While other people are born into starvation and genocide and you know just abuse and all sorts of things that we would rather not ever happen to anyone. But the stream says we don't really understand the energetic realm of non-judgment, that a strand of consciousness that is seeking a more sophisticated journey will project into more difficult circumstances for the sophistication of it. We're judging it from a human perspective. Oh, it's so terrible that that child. But we see these images of these children in these impoverished nations playing in a puddle, laughing and being joyful. They have to learn to judge that, to be unhappy with it. But early on, they're fine. Yeah, I think children are a great example of being in touch with themselves in ways that, you know, we grow out of. Generally, again, generally speaking, some of us are able to hold on to that a little longer or in certain areas of our lives, etc. But yes, again, I'm on the same wavelength with you on that perspective. And so I do Reiki energy healing. And when I was taking my first attunement, I overheard a conversation someone was having with the master Reiki lady and her name's Jamie. And she said, you know, they were asking her about pain because it's a healing modality. So pain comes up, right? Like you're really breaking down like the concept of pain. And she was like, no, no, no. The goal isn't to remove someone's pain. You're not trying to change their experience necessarily, because when you take that away from someone, you're now taking away their ability to live the experience they need to live in their life. She was trying to explain the non-judgment that you are sharing with us. And it's the first time I had ever heard anyone say that. And it stuck with me. And it took me a while to really digest what she was trying to say or what she meant by that, what I was trying to understand, I should say, and what she meant by that. And the more and more I sat with that, the more it really became obvious and what that means. Because I wouldn't change the things in my life either that were really painful because I can see the difference between choices I made and how I was bringing things to me so that I could work through them and mirror the stuff that was internal externally. And we can do that in any way that we'd like. And sometimes it appears painful and we want to help people because we're compassionate, hopefully, as human beings, right? 
compassion is certainly not a bad thing, but detuning that judgment of, because again, I think you really tapped into something, no pun intended, with (laughs) with Reiki (laughs) is that you are facilitating their own journey to self-healing. And sometimes people dip into that. I'm a healer. I need to heal someone. Right. And we all do that. Anyone that's in this type of business, your ego kind of gets into play sometimes and you want to save them from themselves. And it's taken some time for me to get to as a coach of the streams teachings that I'm not here to save anybody from themselves. I'm not here to heal anyone. I am here to share information that allows them, if they're so aligned, to have a different opinion that might take them to that Mm. space. I really love that. I love that we're in this area now where there's no bad journey. There's no wrong way to live life. Everyone's having their human experience. And from that eternal perspective, there is so much gold in what we call the suffering Because the suffering is simply created by our judgment of the experience. In the event that we did this past Saturday, the stream had said to someone about suffering that somebody could walk into the room and chop your hand off right now. And it would be this horrible traumatic event for anyone in the room, of course, because we're conditioned to respond to something like that. But there's actually a reality available to us where something like that is not judged the way humanity has created judgment around such an act. That there are physical environments where the concept of justice isn't what it is here. And the concept of someone taking advantage of you is not judged the same. They weren't trying to promote dismemberment or anything like that. (laughs) They were just trying to take the room to the space where you could imagine that, gosh, I've had these things happen in my life that I've always labeled as traumatic, I keep that trauma alive through my continual judgment of it as that shouldn't have been. It was awful. It was terrible. But when you start rewriting those things to, well, that was just an experience that I had. It might have been scary or painful at the time. It might have scarred me, but I don't have to allow that continual reliving of the drama and the trauma of it. I can change the whole narrative. And when you start thinking that way, you can start finding the expansion that occurs when we attract unwanted things into our lives. And then it's easier to start accepting that we attract all of it because we do. We're naturally moving through this vibrational flow that changes our point of attraction. That's why we attract unwanted things. A lot of people, when they hear about law of attraction, will say, well, I would have never attracted cancer or being abused as a child or going broke in my 30s or my business not working out. Well, of course, nobody intentionally attracts that stuff. Not consciously attracting that. Right. But you're attracting vibrationally. And we're all very well aware that our vibration is not static. There are times that we feel great. I can tell you, walking into that live event, I channel for five hours. I've never gone that long. Long. A long time. It was such a vibrational high to walk in and channel and allow that flow and have this amazing experience. People were just cheering at the end. It was incredible. Oh. An hour after that, I was down. I was drained. I was physically tired. I was emotionally exhausted. And I had planned a dinner with everyone, which was not oh, a good gosh. idea. So I'm taking all these you know, people in my mastery program and my team out to dinner. And I rallied and I did it, but I did not want to be there. And it was like, note for next time. I'm off for the rest of the day. I'm in my room. I'm relaxing. I'm you know, recuperating because having that energy flow for five solid hours was amazing until it wasn't anymore. And my vibration dropped. We were all like that. You know, our vibration is not static. We're in this vibrational flow. I think that's what astrology is all about, that we have this natural vibrational flow in our environment and we're impacted by it. And that's by design so that we're attracting at different vibrational levels. So you're Mm -hmm. attracting some things that you want and you're attracting some things that you don't want all the time. Could you imagine if we all attracted all the people? Like, that would be crazy. Yeah. If law of attraction were simply you think about it and boom, it's outside. I think the stream said one time, you know, that oceans would be littered with yachts and we would have so many houses. Yeah, we would have (laughs) chaos if it were that easy to manifest things. That sells a lot of books. You know, the idea that all you have to do is think about it and it shows up in your doorstep. I think everyone innately knows that there's some truth to that. So I think that sells books. But what I want to do is I want to take people way beyond the law. You know, law of attraction, if you were to make, you know, the process of creation a, a pie, law of attraction would be about a quarter of the slice at most. The rest is polarity, your belief system that you create for yourself, how you've created these beliefs based on what you experienced from day one, mm-hmm. you know, as a manifested being. Mm-hmm. You start creating a belief system and it creates your life for you. You have more control over it than you realize. And that's what our teachings are all about. You can move yourself out of that matrix. Right. Remind us, it's an acronym, right? 
HIA is an acronym? Yeah, it stands for trust your abundance. And abundance okay. means abundance of anything, anything that you want. I have come to understand as a lifelong student of what you might call the law of attraction, that it all comes down to trust, your ability to trust the universe to deliver anything and everything that you want to need. If you're trusting that you're going to be a billionaire and you can authentically trust that, then you'll be a billionaire. If you're trusting that you're going to manifest a pregnancy, you know, then you're going to have that manifestation. That's an interesting example because a lot of times people that are struggling with pregnancy, you hear these stories about how they struggle and struggle and struggle. They adopt a child and then what happens? They get pregnant. They get pregnant. That's a great example of the law of attraction because they're in the vibration of having a child, not wanting to have a child. Yep. Yes. Isn't that incredible how that works? But it's happened in my life, just coworkers and friends over and over again. So many times they get pregnant after that adoption because their whole vibe changed from I need it to I am it or I have it. That's the thing that I've always understood. I think understanding that in a level that is completely conscious and deep really is the shift. And it's I have not gotten pregnant. That is not what I mean when I say I've experienced this. What I mean is that I've experienced moments like that in my life where I desperately wanted to change my situation for years, like particularly with the job I had at the time. And I talk about this here and there on the show. And I spent a year, maybe a year and a half trying to get into the energy of what I wanted to feel like. Like what what did I hate so much about where I was at and how can I shift it now without changing my circumstances? And as soon as I did that, there was a day where it was finally just done. And I quit my job that day and everything changed. And I had to spend time with it though. And really digesting the energy of how to actualize being. It just felt like being and it helped the energy of everyone I came across during that time, they started to shift too. They started to hate their day a little less and it becomes contagious. It was a really fun experiment. And I referred to it as playful energy earlier. And it does take the weight off of the neediness too that we have sometimes in our lives with things that we really, really want to think about it from a place of play. You're making something playful. We all like to have fun. And I think when you make it playful, it's a lot easier to do it and establish the new habit. Yeah. Exactly. And the habit of trust is huge. You really tapped into something there, that vibration of need, remembering that the universe is not sending us things to teach us lessons. We're attracting it. And the universe is not judgmental. That's a big one because we're all taught that we have this judgmental deity of some sort that we're supposed to worship and obey, right? And it's this deity has this idea for us and we're supposed to live that life. But when you strip all the religious stuff away and you really tap into your inner knowing, there's no judgment there. And if the universe isn't judging, then the universe is just delivering what your vibe is, which is we've all proven that to ourselves again and again and again. The vibration of need is going to be met with more need. So if you need a new job, you know, if you hate your job and you're demonizing something, you're giving it life. And this is why you either get stuck in that job that you hate and feel like you have no way out or you manifest a different job and then end up right back in the same scenario. Again, very often you'll hear people say something about the toxic work environment and then they change jobs. And then in six months, they're in another toxic work environment. They took their vibe with them and co-created that. Even if they're not necessarily actively looking to be quote unquote toxic, they're the common denominator there. And when you claim ownership of this stuff and realize, gosh, the universe is just delivering what I'm attracting and that's it. And anything that I want to change is within my power. That's empowering, but it ultimately can become frustrating until you learn to really trust, authentically trust. I have a great example of this, this event that I just did. I have this food delivery service that comes on Fridays every week and I love it, but I forgot to cancel it. And we were going out of town on Friday to go to this event. And so I got online and it was a few days prior and I tried to cancel it. And they said, sorry, it's too late. It's already in production. You know, thanks for nothing. Okay, fine. <laughs> and I, you know, I click off the app and I paid my housekeeper to come on Friday to bring the stuff in and put it in the refrigerator. Well, it never showed up. And then I got a message for the first time ever. I've had this delivery service for months. For the first time ever, the order was delayed and it was showing up today on the day that I'm back home. Of course. If I would have trusted, (laughs) it would have been perfect, but I didn't trust. I went into 3D. I've got to fix this mode, you know, spend a hundred bucks, you know, happy that she came by and she straightened up the house as she always does. But still, it's just so funny. Ironically, would have been perfect if I just left it alone and trusted my abundance. It would have shown up exactly the day I came back home. It's so interesting. And it's funny to know, like, not to go down another rabbit hole here, but I think that's what gets confusing for people is like, well, when do I take action? When do I not take action? That means I'm not doing anything. Like, you know, all of that can seep into the trust conversation, right? Mm -hmm. Especially for a type A personality like myself. 
possibly I'm an you. action person too. Yeah, I was going to yeah. say anybody with a you podcast. You may have figured probably, that out. <laughs> exactly. It's not easy to just launch a podcast and get it going. So yeah, yeah, that's true. We're in a material, physical world. So yes, action is part of it, but. Trust the timing. Trust that you will know when it's time to take action. Anytime I've taken action out of fear or frustration, it's never worked. But I take action because I'm just inspired to do something. Works out great. Yeah, agree. That is the difference. Thank you for simplifying that answer because it's so easy to go, oh yeah, that is the answer. It goes back to the neediness, right? It's a bigger version examples we gave earlier, but it's kind of the same thing. I have so many more things like we could talk about. So I'm really glad that you're coming on again. I'll save that for our next session. Maybe right before we jump into the channel, I'll ask just a couple more things, or maybe I'll ask the channel the things I'm thinking about. Yeah, I was going to say, you've got the dumbed down human version of it for me. You can get it straight from source next time. (laughs) Why don't we do that? Yeah, that sounds great. I'll add some questions to my list for next time. And if there is one thing that you really want people to understand about what we discussed today, what would that be? That the universal law is very simple. All creation happens via attraction and all attraction is impacted by polarity. So our point of attraction is always moving and that's why we have this mix. But the mix is why we're here. All of those challenges that I shared with you from childhood, I've worked through all of that stuff and I see how magnificent all that stuff is. And that's true for all of us. Even if you're still in a suffering state, there's gold there for you. You can't always see it, but in time you will and you can learn to see it a lot quicker. Yeah. The quicker is the helpful part. Cuts way down on the suffering. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you for that. How can we connect with you? And anything else you want to share that you'd like to point people to? Sure. We're the Stream of David everywhere. TikTok, Instagram. The podcast is the Stream of David podcast every week. We also have a Facebook group called the Taya Practice. It's T-Y-A. So if you look up the T-Y-A Practice, you can join the Facebook group. We do a lot of things in that group exclusively and share. And we also have a YouTube channel, the Stream of David. So all over the place. Everywhere. Yeah. And we have a masterclass, but I'll save that until after next time so they can sample the stream a little bit. And then if they want to go do the masterclass, then we'll send them there next time. Lovely. Lovely. We'll put all that in the show notes for this episode as well. I appreciate it. And we'll save the masterclass for the next one. Thank you for that. This was really, really just wonderful. Thank you for joining us and sharing as much as you did. Thanks for having me. It was a lot of fun. I hope you enjoyed this interesting episode with David Strickle. Next week, we have a first for Bebel Begin, where I have David back to channel for us what he calls the stream, and I actually conduct an interview with them. So make sure to click the plus sign or follow button on the screen you're listening to to follow Bebel Begin on your device now, so not to miss this very special episode next week. It's going to be interesting. Thank you for listening to Beeble Begin. We hope that these episodes are helping inspire and empower you to take your next steps towards whatever you're thinking of creating. And if you want more tools, resources, and techniques for your creative process and to connect with me directly, then I'd love to invite you to our Unleash Creative Community. Just follow the link in the show notes and I'll look forward to meeting you there. Happy creating. Happy creating.